Okay, Bobby and Kathy, thank you so much for uh, joining the Hogan Report with me today. Thank you for having us. And yeah, we're very excited about this. Yeah. And uh, uh, congratulations on the ongoing uh, success of the book and the book tour. Bobby, I saw you uh, were at, at least uh, two or three events uh, at ISTE showing the uh, showing the book off uh, right. with crowds. Kathy, I know you you're you're out traipsing across the country uh, talking about it. I guess you know since was I the one that was that the first one that I got to go to? Do I have? Can it's I have props for that? Launch. It was the official launch. Yeah, it was the, the official launch. Yeah. All yeah. right. So all the all those eight weeks yeah. ago, I guess, right? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, well, I guess Bobby and I worked so well together. I mean, she was at ISTE. I was at a family reunion, but I was like, you know, I hadn't missed an ISTE since the beginning. <laughs> but Bobby, I heard great things, and it went really well. We yeah. had a good time and Kathy's doing a lot of uh, group groups that she works with for their sales meetings, for their professional development meetings. So we've had a busy summer. Kathy's been on the road a lot. I'm getting ready to go. We're both getting ready to go to Chicago to the insert meeting to speak. So busy. Well, uh, talk a little bit about the reaction you've had. Any, any surprises, any um, things that you know, as, as you think about it, it, was not something that you intended when you first started to put together the book. So let's talk a little bit about your reactions that, that you've gotten. Yeah, I think we've been very excited. We did know and we've learned uh, and we have a wonderful writer that worked with us, Laura Smullian, who helped us do the, get the book together. She, of course, is from a, a social media generation. So she's been phenomenal of getting it out on social media. I think what we did learn is a couple of, at least I've learned because we look, we have a sales a marketing sales meeting once a week. We've learned since April 21st that we do have a lot of digital downloads of the book. We were number one, one week in Amazon and the Kindle. So people are reading more digital versions than paperback or hardback. We also learned that the, um, the, that the best way to sell our book and to get people to be engaged with it is to offer it to organizations that give it to their their leadership or do a program like the three I did at ISTE. Um, everything from uh, reception, book signing with another author to a talk and a book signing and then a, um, a walk-by kind of thing for ClassLink. So it was a mix, but we've learned a lot about yeah. social media. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the other thing that I've um, I've learned, and I, I saw a little bit of this before when I did um, the Real Women, Real Leaders book, is that um, men like yourself, uh, Kevin, are very interested in this topic. You know, they have, uh, they have wives, they have mothers, they have daughters, and they're always pretty intrigued of like, I really want to read this, you know, I want to see, I want to make sure, you know, that my, my, uh, my daughter really, I want to bring it home to my daughter, would you sign it for my daughter, would you sign it for my sister, you know, so it's, um, that's been kind of really, I, I wouldn't say new, but kind of reinforcing that, that we have a very, um, a very big audience. Right. But and I guess, um, you know, when I read the book and, and went through it and I had that same reaction, I think at, at that launch, you, you, you signed it for Nora. She read yeah. it when she was home over uh, over uh, the 4th of July weekend uh, and enthused about it. Uh, she's up there uh, living her life in New York. But just that idea of being an entrepreneur at all um, is something from me sitting here as a 53 year old guy was never even considered. 
when I was a young person or when I, when I was at the, that age. And when I see where you're intending this to be for younger people to think about entrepreneurism, is this something that is, has just come of late for you? I, well, I know it hasn't for you, Kathy, but, and actually for neither of you, but how, is, how has it evolved over the years? I mean, is, is it something different now in 2022 than say it was in you know, 1990? That's a great question because I think all of us are, any of us that are doing innovative things were entrepreneurs, even before we sort of got that title. So when you say you didn't even think about it, you probably weren't calling yourself an entrepreneur, but you were. You were a leader, you were an entrepreneurial thinker, you, you took on new projects, you created thinking out of the box things. So we did, what we've done now is kind of given you a way to, a filter to look at it and label your traits and skills. And that's what the entrepreneurial mindset work is. And that's the research I've done for the last 10 years at, at the University of Pennsylvania. We've studied the mindset of entrepreneurs. And the other thing we did and I've done in my research is we don't, you don't have to be starting a business to be an entrepreneur. We were very clear about that. And you also don't need to be an educator to be, an, you know, we weren't just addressing this to educators. We were addressing this to purpose-driven leaders and purpose-driven entrepreneurs. And we defined purpose-driven as in, could be, you could be in government, you could be in a corporation, you could be in a foundation. You had a mission that caused you to think innovatively and entrepreneurially. So I think entrepreneurship has been around for a long time. We would have considered Rockefeller or Getty or Carnegie entrepreneurs in their day. We just didn't call them that. So I think our book has given people a way to feel comfortable that they are an entrepreneur, but they don't have to be starting a business. They can be, but they don't have to be. Well, and I think the research that Bobby's done kind of gives us an edge on, there is research that shows this is what it takes. You know, and when we interviewed um, the women who were all very, very different, you know, we compared it to really what the research says. And I think people were happy about that. It's like, I always thought it was an entrepreneur, but now I'm seeing that I have the passion or I see that I have that need to achieve and I really am an entrepreneur. So I think having that research uh, background was really good. Yeah. Now, Kathy, uh Talk a little bit about the distinctions that you find between the, the education space of which uh, you've been involved with versus Bobby. And maybe you could talk about some of the other industries. You know, again, yeah. you know, as I said before we started recording that being in the education space, I've always felt a, a presence of women and not something that maybe necessarily need to be lifted up. Again, probably from my perspective, yeah. uh, that was a perspective that was skewed. Uh, but again, more progressive than say manufacturing, right? Um, maybe talk a little bit about those distinctions and how maybe education can apply some lessons to some of those other industries. Well, you know, we, we talked a lot about that in the beginning when we were, were looking at people to interview. And of course there were a lot of people who had education backgrounds because that is what people who go into education, they have these kinds of traits. Now, everybody has these kinds of traits, but that's why we tried to, to expand the field to show that even if, if you were in education or you were with a nonprofit or you were you know, in totally outside of education, you still had those kinds of traits that would make you an entrepreneur. Um, so I, I don't think there was a really, um, a big difference between education. I know Bobby is getting ready to address a group of administrators um, next week. And we looked at, you know, administrators, 
um, they all are entrepreneurs, you know, and I think the pandemic probably helped a little bit with that is that people were home, they're trying to decide what they're good at, what their strengths were, you know, starting side companies, all, all of a sudden, I think people were, and I think that's where this kind of whole entrepreneurship kind of exploded. I think, I think um, as Kathy said, we found we we struggled very a lot in the beginning of writing this book. Uh, we kept getting feedback. Well, we a book's not broad enough if you just say educators. And we kept saying well, we don't mean educators as a K through 12 person or higher ed that we meant education and learning. So we tried putting the word learning in there. We tried multiple ways of getting at this. And finally, after looking at the research, Again, purpose-driven is what we came up with because educators are purpose-driven. You go into education because you wanna make a difference for kids and you stay there even though it's a challenging career. But that's the same of, true of nurses, of other healthcare workers, of doctors, of people, lawyers that are doing social justice work, social workers. So by expanding this to purpose-driven people, and if you look in the book and you look at the date, the one of the graphs at the end, we show you where they come from. And it's not all just a K through 12 or a higher ed. They come from corporations. They come from foundations. They come from government. One of our people runs the largest social impact fund for Apollo management, one of the women in the book. Another worked with Trudeau in Canada in a chief of protocol and trained ambassadors, which is why we why we put her in the book to begin with, but we realized it was a much broader story she had to tell. We looked with Sherry Weston, who came from the media, who's now the CEO of uh, the president of, of Sesame. So we looked at this as what was your purpose? How, how committed were you? And we found three things and we all, um, that we found were quite interesting. The women in the book were at risk takers, clearly because they were entrepreneurial thinkers but they were more thoughtful risk takers. Women tend to think and look at the data and the research, which actually represents how Kathy and I approached the book and that why we think it's unique. We also found that they had a lot of self-confidence. Women had high self-confidence. Uh, they have to because they have to compete in a world that isn't where they, they supposedly don't belong. And we found though, even though they had self-confidence, they were more likely to have an imposter syndrome to think that they shouldn't be at the table but they got over it in most cases, clearly, because they got to the top. And then the third thing we found out was that they had, um, they were much higher in their personal sensitivity trait and their ability, empathy. And again, women are clearly more empathetic, but it, what was interesting is how that um, manifested itself in the way they ran their organizations. They were more collaborative, their teams stayed with them longer. And one of the sort of, you know, antithesis to that is they could fire people better because when they would go to fire people they would say you know I don't think this is a fit for you maybe right. you should, I'll help you think about where you should be and Kathy and I can't tell you the number of times we both told that to people we're mentoring and so the let's you down let you down easy yeah <laughs> the man will say you know I'm reorganizing and you just don't fit anymore go. Yeah. yeah I have a couple of, a couple of ex-girlfriends I recall doing the same thing and, and so what came out of the empathy was we realized how important mentors were and women because of their empathy empathy and Kathy of course that's her specialty and so she actually wrote the chapter on empathy and that's her I mean on mentoring and that's her story um and so we found that mentoring was really important part of this yeah 
Yeah, mentoring is really an interesting area. I, I, I remember over the years, because I worked with a lot of superintendent groups, uh, early on, I used to say, you, used, you should have a meeting for women. And they'd get kind of their backs up and say, we just don't have to have a meeting for women. If they're corporate people, they could be at the corporate meeting. And I'm like, no, women have different issues. Women have the work-life balance issue. Women like to talk to other women about how they've kind of gotten through this kind of the tricks of the trade. So this whole thing, if you think of really, again, what's happened during the pandemic, it's a lot of women's groups have really come to the fore. And it's not a thing about, you know, power or anything like that. It's just sharing ideas, sharing stories. And I think that's why our book has been so powerful because people like to see someone else's story because they can relate to that. Um, so that's been kind of, kind of an interesting thing for me as I see some of these groups that said, we're not going to have a woman's group. And now they do because they, right. they do understand that the, for mentoring, that's really important. Now, men are mentors, women are mentors. You can meet with people in the workforce. You can have people in families. But it is important, I think, for women to have mentors who can relate to what they're going through. Yeah, Absolutely. It's, it's, and it's fascinating just to watch the dynamics go up and down. Does that take any of the pressure off of some all-men groups? I mean, so, I mean, we're, uh, I, I think about ed tech and just the, and it's all in, in fun, but the dolls yeah. versus the dogs, right? And yeah, yeah, yeah. The dogs are not organized at all. The women, <laughs> they're very organized. Totally. <laughs> now, totally. even but, my friends like you and Chuck and <laughs> yeah, they're like, we're just not as organized as you. And that's why we are entrepreneurs. Exactly right. That's well, actually, right. you know, entrepreneurs kind of have this, you know, counterintuitive traits. As Kathy said, women entrepreneurs tend to be more organized. That goes to their thoughtfulness about their risk taking. So, and I've invested in hundreds of companies over the years, both as a private, running a private equity firm, running a seed fund, and now personal investment. I look at these companies and I see that women are just so much more thoughtful about what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. And on the other hand, I sometimes the thoughtfulness gets in the way of the passion. And if you ask a male VC, they'll say, I'll invest in the top three things, passion, the person, the leader, the person, the CEO, and whether they're solving a big problem. Those are the three things women when I look at a women company, I don't have to worry about the passion. They wouldn't be doing this and changing their whole life with, as Kathy said, and in the book, we call them inhibitors, balance with life, with family and children and who's in having, you know, no um, safety net. And, but there definitely is a difference between the way they go after something and organization is one. Yeah. And one of the things we found out that was kind of interesting, and Bobby and I talk about this quite a bit, is that, um, you know, typically if you ask um, a woman, you know, who, where they learn their leadership from, they would say, my dad, you know, my dad, that's just the way it's always been, right? You go to entrepreneur, all the women said their mothers, mm. Which was so interesting. And you know why? Because they said their mothers could juggle going to PTA, they could work out of the house, they could raise a family. They had that kind of, again, that passion, they could get it all done. Right. So yeah. Kind of the, the, the multitasking aspect yes. of it too. Right. Yep. And there's lots been written on that being superwoman. And I think there's 
pros and cons to that. Clearly women always thought they had to be perfect. The next, this generation of women, including my daughter, have a much more balanced approach to it. They wanna do all those things, but they know that they need help. They're willing to ask for help. They're will and whereas all, women from an older generation that were trying to do it all, they, they didn't. And many of them just couldn't do it. They ended up right. flaming out either in their career or in being a mother, or it was not a good scene. Yeah. Now, not to ask you to play favorites, but as you've been going through the tour <laughs> and, and, and thinking about uh, you know, the, the folks that you have interviewed and, and, and profiled, are there any that just kind of like are at the top of your head that you're like, you say, you know, this is representative of what we were trying to get across or you know, even as you've had conversations with folks now about the book who have read the book, which must be yeah. uh, a gratifying experience. Uh, any, any of those who that really stick out in, in your minds? Well, for me, one in particular sticks out because we almost named the book and we, we referred to the to be able to do well and do do well and do good. And she her name's Lisa Hall and she's the one running the Apollo um, Social Impact Fund. Lisa said early on in her career, she's from a woman of color, and she said early on in her career that she wanted to have a job where she could make a difference. But she also knew that she had to make money. She had went to Harvard, then she went to, she went to Wharton undergrad, Harvard to get her MBA. And she wanted to have to pay back a lot of debt. And she said she was so lucky that her very first job was in banking, but she got us worked with the group that was funding housing in underserved neighborhoods. Hmm. And then she went on to run the Calvert Fund, which is a community fund, a fund, uh, it's a private equity fund, but it funds community projects. And so she is to me, and she says in the book that her goal, she was so thrilled when she got this first job because she saw that she could do well and do good. Um, and another phrase that came out in the book that we also thought about the title and came from one um, woman who runs the Lutheran um, Refugee Fund, she said you had to see it to be it. And she talked about being a role model and how women have this responsibility. So those stories stood out because they had themes that I resonated with. I'm sure Kathy has, you know, lots of other stories she liked too. Well, I, I, I think some of the millennial women, I mean, it was great having this as an international um, group of people because it just shows how we're so the same in so many ways, whether you're from South America, whether you're from Asia, um, whether, you know, no matter where you're from, these people had the same kind of skills. But I, I was really intrigued with some of the really young people who were so passionate about making major changes and developing new schools and starting daycare centers. And it was, it was, that was a really of an interest to me. The people were not afraid, mm. you know, at a young age to say, I can go in and do this. Yeah. One of the stories I would recommend along that is Katie Fang. Katie came over and started a company that she was 14. Sure he knows Katie. Yeah. So yeah. Katie came to the country at a 14, all on her own. She was not from a family that would have, you know, in China that would have sent her to the U.S. She worked this all out. She was from a relatively remote, in China, it wasn't a small city, but a more remote city. Everything in China is big. But anyway, she came over and she worked out how she could stay here, how she could go to college. I don't think she's 27 yet. Maybe she is now at this point, but I think she's now running a company. She's raised 
a big round for her first round considered to other companies. And her story was very, very moving. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, well, they all were. I mean, and, and you know, every character, every profile, really there's something that resonates back. And I knew the toughest part of uh, the conversation today would be to end it. Because <laughs> oh, you knew both of us. <laughs> That's a very hard <laughs> thing to do, Kevin. Yeah, but we could we could go on and on because I mean it is such a, a fascinating subject. But I'll I'll leave it with this. Um, what's the next book? <laughs> well, I don't know if there'll be a next book, but we <laughs> have a lot of ideas. We've we interviewed and met a lot of women and a lot of things. So we're thinking of talking, and maybe we're going to come in and do a joint podcast with you. We really think the stories were important. And we modeled the book after sort of one of my favorite, you know, writers, Malcolm Gladwell or Adam Grant, that are researchers like I am and wanted to tell stories instead of writing another academic book. So I think the whole idea of telling more stories is something Kathy and I would love to do. So we, we're all getting ready to start a podcast series with um, mind, uh, mind share out with Robert out Robert. of Canada. Oh, yeah, Canada. Sure. Yeah. Um, so he wants to do a monthly podcast with people from our book and other women. Yeah. So I, well, I don't know where I'm ready to write another book. I've written many books, so I'm not sure I want to write another one. And I'm not sure Kathy does either at this point, but we do want to continue to tell these stories. Expand the franchise, Bob, Kathy. I think Bobby's right on the, when you look at the seven traits and the seven skills, you could write a whole, like little booklets. You could write things around nonconformity. You could write things about passion, persistence, optimism. I mean, there are threads. I mean, I know I'm a very good friend with um, uh, Evan St. Lifer, who you know, and he's bound and determined that he's going to get us to do a book on networking. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but that, that is a whole big topic. Sure. Uh, you sure. know, how, how do you network? People are afraid. They walk in a room, they think they have to talk to everybody, you know, instead of one or two people. It's got to start somewhere, you know? Especially so yes. you know when we're ready to compete with you on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, just give me the scoop and I'll just try to stay one step ahead. Well, and the other thing, Kevin, is you'll be pleased is people do read our newsletter. We have a newsletter and we list the podcasts that we've done. Yeah. So you'd be surprised and people will go to where we've done the podcast and listen to and then listen to your other podcasts. So I love it. I feel like we have this little marketing thing going, you know, it's all, it's all about it. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. The, uh, that's all part of that next book, the networking book. Yeah. <laughs> well, once again, ladies, thank you so much for your time and your insights. I really appreciate it as always. And I look forward to seeing you in person at some yeah. point soon. Well, you'll probably see us at the Classling Party because it's in August and you came last year, so you got to come. Twist, twist my arm. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you okay. so much for thinking of us. This is great. Right. If you need anything else, let us know. Thanks. Bye-bye.